That'll help you out. I am starting a new series today. I am thrilled to have the car out of um, storage. And very, this has been a very popular series. This is, I believe, the third time that I've done the What's Driving You series. Through the years, I've covered uh, many subjects concerning what's driving you. How many recognize that whatever is driving your life is pretty much determining where your destination is? I remember years ago, I visited Israel with a group of um, other pastors, and we had a free day in the city of Jerusalem, and those of you that may be familiar with the way that landscape is today, just, uh, I believe, to the south of Jerusalem is Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is controlled by the Palestinians, and um, you have to go through checkpoints and, um, you know, they check passports and all that stuff just driving from the city of Jerusalem into um, Bethlehem. It'd be similar to going from Glenpool Jinx um, into the air at South Tulsa. It just, you know, very close. And on our free day, we decided we wanted to go explore the old city of Jerusalem um, with a little more intensity and purpose. Beforehand, we had gone into the old city of Jerusalem with tour guides. You kind of go where they tell you to go. We sort of wanted to go into the old city and just wander. And so we did that. We, we held a cab at our hotel in Jerusalem, and the four of us crawled into a taxi cab. And as we pulled away from the hotel, we immediately recognized that the driver of that taxi cab was not taking us toward the old city. We had been in Jerusalem long enough to kind of get um, directionally the, the directions of where, where everything was. And, and um, this taxi driver, who we would soon discover was a Palestinian, was driving us to Bethlehem. As we were insisting, we want to go to the Lion Gate. We want to go to the Lion Gate, the old city. Take us to the Lion Gate. And he'd go, oh, Lion Gate, Lion Gate. And he kept driving that car toward Bethlehem, away from the city of Jerusalem. And we became louder. And we began to insist even more, Lion Gate. You must take us to the Lion Gate, Lion Gate. We want to go to the old city. Oh, old city, old city. And he continued to drive that car toward Bethlehem until we went through the checkpoints. And very strange this time, there were no checking of passports. There were no rolling down of windows. He pulled that taxi cab over to this side and kind of went through the Pike Pass lane, the lane where all of the Palestinian guards just waved at us as we went through. By now, there is panic setting in on four preachers from America because we have realized that we were kidnapped. We realize that. He has taken us, and we are at his mercy. Wherever he drives us, that's where we will be. In our fear, what we did not know is that his family owned a souvenir shop in Bethlehem. I lie to you not. 
and we entered a souvenir shop, they had a smoking lounge for the taxi cab drivers. All of the taxi cab drivers were in this area behind glass smoking cigarettes. And all of us poor American tourists who have been kidnapped to a souvenir shop. And we're looking at each other like, well, what do we do? And, and, and the taxi cab driver says, oh, my cousin's shop. Go buy something. Then we will go to the Lion Gate. True story. True story. We successfully made it to the Lion Gate just a little while after we, we all left with some. I mean, listen, you buy something when you're kidnapped. You know what I'm saying? Because, listen, nobody even knew we were there. They, they no passport check, nothing. Nobody even knew we were there. And we found ourselves, we wandered around that thinking, well, how much money are you going to spend? Well, I ain't going to spend a whole lot, but we better spend something, man, that God may take us deeper into Palestinian territory. His cousin souvenir shop. It was great. What's driving you in your life? I mean, are you, are, are you going where you really want to go? I mean, in your life, do you, do you see a destination? Is there a destiny for you that is a preferred future? Well, we have to answer these questions. Because what's driving us is extremely important with the outcomes of our life. I mean, in Jerusalem, it was to a Palestinian souvenir shop. Could have been worse. Today, I want to talk about, in our What's Driving You series, I want to talk about what's driving you. Is it fear or is it freedom? Is fear driving you or is freedom driving you? Next week, I'm, I'm giving you a hint concerning next week. Next week, we're going to talk about what's driving you. Is it your problems or is it the solutions? I'm very excited about that because we're going to talk a little bit about problematic relationships. I think that's an important subject for us to address in the church. I mean, I recognize in my own life, that when my relationships are doing well, it really doesn't matter what else is going on. I can, I can withstand, withstand rather just about anything as long as my relationships are going well. And so I think that's important for next week. But for today, what's, what's driving you? Is it fear or is it freedom? What's behind the wheel of your life? This is the most fantastic car ever. It gets tremendous gas mileage. The air conditioner don't work. to see what's on the radio. You know, when I, when I drive, I always enjoy listening to the radio. As a matter of fact, I sing along with the radio. You do too. So let's see what's on the radio today.
talking about someone who is living on top of the world only to discover that at some point things slipped. And now instead of commanding the streets, instead of being the king of the hill, now I hear Jerusalem bells ringing, Roman Calvary choirs are singing, my my life isn't what it used to be. I used to rule the world and now things are different. Things are different. I'm in a dark place. Dark places are no fun. Dark places in our lives are filled with this idea of fear. You know, it kind of makes me wonder what the disciples must have felt on resurrection weekend. For them, it didn't begin with resurrection. It began with crucifixion. And everything that they had dreamed about, everything they had put their trust in. Oh, I know we read the back of the story, and and it's easy for us to pass off what they must have been feeling. But think with me just for a moment. Just a few days prior to crucifixion, these people were on top of the world. These people understood what it meant, as this song even says, that, that even the seas would rise and fall at his command. That here is this moment in our life where we are walking with the miracle worker. This this one who can heal the sick. Walking through the streets with this one who could even raise the dead. Matter of fact, just a few days prior to crucifixion, he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Oh, the city heralded that just a few days before. Rejoicing in this one they called Hosanna, this Messiah, this one that that would bring such victory. But yet, now the disciples are wrestling with fear as they have watched their hope. They have watched their Messiah. They have watched this one who they felt would be the key to everything concerning their destiny. They watched him bleed out on a cross. 
I mean, not just the medieval pictures of Jesus on the cross with a trickle of blood here and a, 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 a little dab of blood there. No, crucifixion was a horrible death. Prior to that crucifixion, they whipped him with a whip called the cat of nine tails. It has, it has actually nine whips to it and woven in those whip strands are shards of broken pottery and glass and it is specifically designed to pull the flesh off of the body as the, as the whip is coming back this direction. And it's a bloody thing as, as this whip is going and they're beating Jesus literally to a pulp and they're pulling the skin off of his body and the flesh is gone and bones are revealed. And this is the picture of that crucifixion. Crucifixion where they would nail an individual to a cross and suspend them in air and the body would push up and down trying to breathe as, as fluids would begin to build in the body and gasping for air and, and it's a very cruel form of death and this was their king just a few days before the seas would rise when he gave the word just a few days before it would appear we ruled the world. And now, what do we have? We have a murdered leader. We have lives that are in disarray. And so it was on crucifixion weekend. And who would have ever thought about this? I mean, I know the disciples didn't conceive of it. The Bible even tells us that, that they had absolutely no idea what was going on. They were completely in the dark. Even though Jesus had even warned them. The Bible says that their eyes were closed. That their eyes were closed to this. That they had no mental understanding. They could not even conceive that this was even possible. How do you do this? John 19, 16 reads to us, Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. How do you even do that? I mean, how do you even hand him over to be crucified? And then it says, So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. This is mind-boggling to them. Here is a man that could command the waves of the sea. The seas would rise when he gave the word. This, this is a man who could speak to a dead person and cause them to come back to life. How do, you, how do you turn him over to be crucified? How in the world does it make any sense to anybody that mere human beings, mere soldiers could take charge of him? And then it, then it says this, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him two others, one on each side, Jesus in the middle. Here he is being treated like a common criminal. He, he's being hung on a cross, suspended between two criminals. And the only crime Jesus committed was feeding their children. The only crime 
he committed was healing their sicknesses and delivering those who were paralyzed, giving leg strength to those who could not walk, giving eyesight to those who could not see, giving hearing to those who could not hear, cleansing the skin of lepers who had been cast out of the city, who were now living in colonies separate from their family because they weren't permitted to be among people. This is his crime? This is why he's hanging between two thieves? How is this even possible? How is this even possible? I don't understand it. And it was in that moment that the Bible reveals to us that in their lives, fear took hold of the steering wheel. In their lives, now fear was driving them. Matter of fact, if you will look in John 20 verse 19 on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. They locked themselves behind closed doors Because fear was now driving their every decision. Oh, this is the same group that just a few days before thought that when we rule the world, we're going to conquer everything. Listen to the crowds cry, Hosanna, man, we are on the right team. And now all of a sudden, as things are different, something else is behind the wheel of their life. And I've been there. See, I I know what it's like. I know what it's like to have fear behind the steering wheel of my life. What about that circumstance? What What about that financial situation or that job question? What about the economy? What's it doing to you? How is it affecting you? And Fear begins to creep in to say, man, I don't know if my company's going to make it. I don't know if, if, if the next round of layoffs is going to affect me. And fear begins to creep in. And you have these doctor's reports. These doctor's reports that, man, it just doesn't look good. And, and, and I know what it's like to, to have that kind of report given into my life, into the life of my wife or even in the life of my own child. A step back and feel that pulsating beat as fear begins to drive you in your life and toss and turn at night. If you're able to sleep at all, you toss and turn at night with this anxious feeling in your chest and you just don't know what tomorrow holds. And fear is dictating your attitude and it's dictating how you feel and where you go and what you think about. And man, that's a terrible place to be in a dark, in a dark, dark place. In a dark place. I've been in such dark places in my life in times that I didn't even know how to pray. I couldn't even really pray about it. You know, somebody would be a little more, maybe a little more um, religious or <laughs> they probably consider themselves a little more Christian than me. But... um you know, they always give you these great words. Man, just pray about it. I've been in a situation where prayer didn't seem to work. I mean, it wasn't making me feel any better. Oh, boy, not supposed to admit that on Easter Sunday, right? 
You ever been in that place where you couldn't even put words to a prayer? I've been hit with news that have blindsided you up the face and just hit you so hard, and, and all you can do is just kind of go, oh, oh. And I've walked the aisles of this church by myself, go, oh, oh, man. Oh, that's all you could pray. That's all you could pray. Just, oh. I've asked God crazy questions. Do you, do you know what's going on? While fear pulsating every beat, we're not going to make it. It's not going to happen. We can't survive. Facing that thing down in your life as fear begins to drive you. I told First Church, so far this has not been the happiest Easter message you'll ever hear. But I will tell you that it is a happy Easter message. Why? Because our faith. The Christian religion does not stop at the cross. Now, no, no, let, me, let me say this. I, I, I'm not saying anything against the cross. But, you know, ever, ever so often, wouldn't it be great to see somebody wear a necklace with an empty tomb? No, I'm just saying. I'm saying, I don't know, I have four or five cross necklaces. I have cross bracelets and things like that. And I wear them, and that's, that's, I'm not saying anything against it. But, you know... You know, we got, to, we got to realize something here that's extremely important to our faith. Is that, is that our faith doesn't stop at the cross. I mean, the cross is amazing. But the thing that, that makes Christianity what it is, is that we not only have a cross, but we also have a resurrection. We think about this for a second. Everybody else have martyrs, people who have died for what they believe and they can go to graves somewhere and they can stand over the remains of that which was. But we don't have a grave with remains in it because Jesus Christ didn't stay in the grave. And it wasn't a grave robber. Matter of fact, he himself, the Bible declares that God himself raised Christ from the dead. Jesus Christ came walking out of that tomb. And, and it was a powerful moment for us because everyone else has a martyr, but we have a risen Savior. And there is a big difference between the two. See, what these disciples didn't understand is that as bad as the cross was, there's a tomb that's coming that's going to be empty. And that Jesus Christ did not stay dead. But he is alive and he is yet alive even right now. And so we celebrate this idea of resurrection and the power of resurrection is this that Jesus Christ conquered everything for us in order for us to not have 
fear behind the wheel of our, of our life, but to have freedom behind the wheel of our life. That no matter what you throw at me, no matter what comes my way, no matter what circumstance I face, no matter what news comes down the pike, I serve a risen Savior who came to set me free from fear. I'm just not going to be afraid. Well, I know it's hard. It's difficult. It's difficult. But somehow or another, we have to do what the apostle wrote and said to fix our eyes on Jesus, who authored and perfected our faith. That we have to set our eyes on him. That if we can make Jesus Christ this risen Savior who can do anything, if we can make him the focus of our attention, fear has to go and freedom will step in. And we will recognize that no matter what happens, we serve a God who's going to see us through. He's going to see us through. Matter of fact, I think it's interesting in the telling of those events on Resurrection Day, that, that there were two disciples that were walking to a place called Emmaus. The two disciples. They don't even get their names. The Bible just says there's two disciples that were walking to Emmaus. Now, to walk to Emmaus, you had to be going away from Jerusalem. Okay? And Emmaus, in Bible times, was a dead-end spot. It was just sort of like the end of the road. I mean, nobody went to Emmaus on purpose. It was just like you had to go there. Otherwise, you didn't go there. Does that make sense? Nobody wanted to go to Emmaus. But these two disciples were on their way to this place called Emmaus, this dead-end spot. And Jesus stole up beside them, the resurrected Jesus, stole up beside them on resurrection day. And as they were walking to Emmaus, everything in them was saying, I quit. And Jesus opens a conversation with them and says words that indicated, why are you so sad? Why are your countenances fallen? And they looked back at him astonished and said, have you not heard? Do you, know, do you don't know what happened? This, our leader, our Messiah, our Savior was crucified in Jerusalem. Did you, have you not heard this? And the Bible says that Jesus started to expound to them on prophetic scriptures concerning the crucifixion and the resurrection. Until finally they came to a, to a house where they would stop for the night. And as it was their custom, even though he was a stranger, they invited him in because, because it was unsafe to travel at night. And, and they would invite the stranger in the house and he would come in. And he sat down at a table with them. And the Bible says that Jesus picked up the bread and that Jesus broke the bread. And when he broke the bread, their eyes lit up because nobody breaks bread like Jesus. They went, what? When he broke that bread, they went, this is Jesus. And, and, and as soon as they recognized him, the Bible says he disappeared. And you know what? They did a very curious thing. It was not, it was not good to travel out, but they did a very curious thing. The Bible says they left immediately and went back to Jerusalem. Why? Because fear, they weren't even concerned about road robbers. They weren't even concerned about the danger of travel. Because when Jesus shows up into your life, fear 
has no hold on you. When Jesus shows up, it's freedom. They felt freedom to travel at night. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is alive, then we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. See, listen to the rest of these words from verse 19. With the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And now listen to this last words. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. You know what is so curious to me about this? Is that Jesus didn't offer them one answer. He didn't give them one explanation. He didn't sit down with them and show them the game plan. But yet, just the recognition of Jesus in their life caused all of the fear to go. And now, they were filled with joy. Just the recognition that Jesus is here. My desire for us today is that we can find a place to have freedom even when we don't have the answers. I don't know how it's going to work out. There's areas of my life right now that have big question marks. I don't know what's going to come of those circumstances. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know how God's going to do it. But if I can keep my eyes on Him, I will rest in freedom and not in fear. Last week, we sat on the front porch with my dad. My dad's 84 years old, lives in Columbus, Texas. Sitting with us at the table on his front porch were two hospice workers who are preparing to take care of my dad. Five months ago, a cancerous tumor was discovered in his lung. The frailty of his body. It was determined by the doctors that it was inoperable. Two and a half weeks ago, they got the reports back from a CAT scan that said that the tumor had almost doubled in three months. And so, we prepare. We prepare. There is no treatment. We just prepare. Sitting there with my dad, nurse had, the nurse that had come to meet with him and the other social worker that was there, they had sidetracked in paperwork and I looked over at my dad and I said, are you okay? And he looked at me in the kindest of faces and yeah. I accept it. I love the Right? 
there's no answers here, but yet there is a peace. Because you've got to fix your eyes. You've got to keep your eyes on the fact that no matter what they say, there is hope. And our hope doesn't end here. Just as much as Jesus did not end with a cross, our lives don't end here. No matter how you slice it, there's a resurrection coming. And so we rest in this hope that makes absolutely no sense to anybody else. They look at your circumstance, they look at your life, and they go, how can you have peace? And your only words back to them has to be that freedom in Christ is behind the wheel of my life. And although those disciples had not a single answer, they were still filled with joy because they knew everything was going to be okay because Jesus is alive. And that's our hope today. As you stand with me, I want to thank you so much for worshiping with us on Resurrection Sunday. If you're a guest, we would love to meet you. Several of our pastors will be at guest relations. Please don't leave without saying hi to us. We'll be right back there immediately following the service. I know that the kids have a moment and you need to go get your kids in just a second and take them out to the 301 building or gymnasium building for the um, candy rain. But before we do that, I want if you'd bow your heads. Please close your eyes and respect the moment. If you are here today, you say, you know, Pastor, I need fear to get out of the driver's seat and I need freedom to get in the driver's seat. I am not going to call you forward. I am not going to point you out. This is my guarantee every week I will not embarrass you. But if you would just slip a hand up as, a, as an act to say, you know what, I want you to pray with me. If you'll just slip a hand up. Say, I, I don't want to be driven by fear. Thank you so much. Okay, put your hands down, please. I'm not going to embarrass you. Let me pray. And I want you to hear this prayer, and I want you to receive this prayer right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every one of these that raised a hand in this house, saying that they do not want to be driven by fear. And I am asking in the mighty name of Jesus Christ for there to be a miraculous release in their life. May their hearts be infused with the freedom that only comes from Christ. And may they feel your touch even right now in their life as they recognize the power of what you can do. I am asking in the name of Jesus Christ for your help, for your strength, and for your hope this house even right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said in Jesus' name to that. Praise God. Praise God.